And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to The 3-0 Show, part of The Athletic Baseball Show. It is Thursday, August 31st. Can't believe we're in the last day of August already. Derek and Riper, Bridgerola, Eno Saris all here with you on this episode. We will check in on the NL Central battle that heated up this week as the Cubs took two of three from the Brewers. We'll look at the broader playoff picture in the National League for a few minutes. We'll check in on the Tampa Bay Rays, the recent run of the Seattle Mariners, and we have an official announcement from the White Sox, something that we thought might be happening about a week ago. We have a new GM, and it is Chris Getz. So a lot of ground to cover here over the next hour or so, but let's begin in the NL Central, where America is just riveted by a battle between the Brewers and Cubs. The Cubs took two of three in the series, and they had underdog status in each pitching matchup. And I say that as someone who fully respects what Justin Steele has been doing this season. But it was Justin Steele against Corbin Burns on Tuesday. It was Kyle Hendricks against Brandon Woodruff on Wednesday. And the Cubs got two huge wins to cut the Brewers lead to three games in the NL Central I actually want to start with Justin Steele. You know, Justin Steele is third in ERA among all pitchers, minimum 100 innings, going back to July 1st of last season. This is a guy that averages about 92 on the fastball. When you watch him, it sure seems like it's more about locating and sequencing really well as opposed to having just filthy swing and miss stuff. But he's getting fantastic results and he's become a really important piece for this Cubs team. Yeah, there was a, a thing on MLB Network where they put Justin Steele up against Spencer Strider and they put their ERAs up and they put their stuff plus up, which is a, you know, a number that I helped create that sort of looks at the physical characteristics of the of their pitches and they were sort of discussing how how could Justin Steele have this much lower of an ERA when Spencer Strider who has like the first or second best stuff plus in baseball outranks him so much and I was like I, I don't I don't know that there's any one number, first of all, that encapsulates all of a starting pitcher, uh, even ERA, FIP, WAR, any of these numbers. I don't think that any of them is that great. Uh, and then second of all, is this not the oldest battle in the history of time and talking about pitchers? You know, like we've got the high stuff, fire breathing monster. Like I grew up in Atlanta, dude. We had John Smoltz and Greg Maddox and we always everybody in the, that was sitting there in a boring ass game in August was saying who you got John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, who you got. And we argued about this stuff forever. And Justin, I think Steele is a little bit closer to a Maddox type. It's a little bit more a modern one because it's not a sinker. It's a cut ride fastball. Um, he's a he's a good locator. He's a really good locator. Uh, and Spencer Strider is John Smoltz. I mean, like very similar. It's like a huge fastball, a uh, huge slider, strikes everybody out. And I don't know, me personally growing up, I was a Smoltz guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take Spencer Strider if you're comparing him to Justin Steele. I'm sorry. I, I think that, you know, I'll take the stuff every day. But Steele uh, definitely has something going for him, which is sort of unique fastball or just a rarer type of fastball. It's a cut ride fastball that doesn't really have the jump of a four seam. It doesn't really have the, the fade of a two seam. Still, you know, there are other cut ride guys. His is more about location. Uh, I think he's a very good pitcher. I would take the best pitchers on the Brewers over Justin Steele. All that being said, this Cubs team, Brit, is probably a bit better than people want to give them credit for. One thing they've done particularly well all season long is put runs on the board. They are sixth in the league in runs scored per game. They're one of only six teams that have averaged more than five runs per game this season. So as you start to assess this roster, 
How do you think they stack up to the other teams that are in the thick of the NL wildcard and playoff race, just from a more broad perspective? Because the Cubs feel like one of the one of the less discussed teams in the National League to this point this season. Yeah, I think they're a sneaky, dangerous team. And it's funny, I was talking to a GM two days ago about this, how they changed the complexion of the trade deadline, because as we've talked about, the hitter market was a big zero, pretty much. But a big part of that is because the Cubs felt like they were in it. So they hung on to Cody Bellinger, who was a real would have been a real impact bat for another team. Had he moved, he would have been like the top offensive player to switch teams. But, you know, they rightly, unlike the Angels, who wrongly read the tea leaves and said, you know what? I like where we're going here. And as we sit here today, they are, I believe, what, two? They're right behind the Phillies in the NL wild card. Um, and what, two games back on the Phillies. three games back in the Brewers. In that NL wild card. Yeah. So, like, what stands out to me is, as you mentioned, the offense, also the run differential. So, they're pitching and they're hitting, right? They're plus 77 on the run differential, which is better than a bunch of teams in front of them. Now, it's not the be-all and end-all because you can have blowouts that kind of skew it. But they've been fairly consistent, I feel like, as a team, especially when, listen, when the front office says, hey, we're not going to sell. We believe in what we're doing here, even though this wasn't supposed to be a, a year that the Cubs were good. People were still kind of waiting on the rebuild to end. They were waiting on the Cubs to return uh, to you know the glory of yesteryear, if you want to call it that. I personally think they underachieved a little bit in that window, uh, you know, one World Series. They did have some really good seasons, but I thought that that I think that window um, where they were good, that last crop was was a little overhyped versus what they could have done if you look at it on paper. Uh, But certainly with this Cubs team, you know, I have friends in Chicago that are like, hey, are they for real? You know, because people were planning on not having the Cubs play in October. And now I think a lot of people would be disappointed. And I think it would be considered a disappointing season for the Cubs if they miss the postseason which you wouldn't have said a month ago. I might not have said it three or four weeks ago, but they continue to hang around. They continue to play good teams well, as you guys were talking about. And to me, they're they're a team that could easily still win the division and nobody would be surprised. They are a deep team offensively. Their young guys have started to perform well. I think they're in a, a pretty good spot to be one of those like sneaky teams where if they sneak in, why can't they do what the Phillies did last year? I don't think their lineup is as vaunted. I don't think it's as deep as Philadelphia's was a year ago. But we've seen crazy things happen in the playoffs. All it takes is a team to get hot at the right time. It takes a hot month, really, a hot two weeks to change the total fate of your season in October. So I like the Cubs, and you're right. I don't think we've talked about them enough. Now, certainly, as as Eno said, I'm going to side with Spencer Strider, who I found one of the most fascinating guys at the All-Star Game to talk to. You know, if you talked to him much, you would have loved him. Yeah, I, mean, I love Spencer He went Strider. on. Like, I, this, this surprises me none. He went on for like an hour to my one question about like, what would you change? What what adjustment? That story we did, you know, what adjustment would you have changed? And he was like, so um, just like visceral and everything. And just like was led, there were layers to everything he was talking about. I'm like, man, this guy is an Eno Sarah. So uh, (laughs) surprises me none that you like him because he pitches like John Smalls, but he has this mind that to me is just, it's fascinating. You can tell why he's a good pitcher, right? He doesn't just go up there and rely on stuff alone. He is just a really, really interesting thinker not to get off topic but i wanted to mention that i was blown away by him at the all-star game this year uh you know you get to talk to so many different guys and so many different stars and this guy just had it all he was confident he was self-assured he was smart he was thoughtful he was very nice to everybody um despite it being kind of an annoying setup in general you get asked the same question a hundred times um but i'm so glad he's an eno saris guy already (laughs) because i said to myself like man eno's gonna love this guy I like what you said about the Cubs being deep, though. I'm, I'm just looking at their roster, and um, you know, if you put Heimer Candelario in in the regular group, you know, since I guess since the deadline, they have like ten or eleven guys that are just comfortably above average with the bat. Uh, they have some ability to mix and match and platoon, um, and they're doing that and getting the most out of Patrick Wisdom. Um, Heimer Candelario looks like maybe one of the best bats that was traded at the deadline. It was a bad year for trading bats at the deadline, but they bought the best bat at the deadline instead of selling the best bat at the deadline. Um, and then I think just one thing I also wanted to man- uh, mention about the Cubs is that you you were talking, Derek, about the sort of uh, Angels uh, miscalculation, perhaps. Um, I think it's important sometimes to like look at your division, even if you're not necessarily 
making decisions based on the division. You know, you, you have to play your division a lot. You have to think about how generally, how much quality is generally in your division and in your the rest of your season. Because you, you always finish. Like the Cubs finish with the Brewers, right? You know, like you always finish with uh, teams in your division. And I think the Angels made a miscalculation about how good the Mariners, I mean, we maybe all made that miscalculation, how good the Mariners were. But then you're like the Astros and Rangers are clearly better teams than you. So you're all that you, this whole thing you're doing is for a wild card. That seems like maybe a mistake. Whereas the Cubs, they can say, you know what? In our division, there's no team that's way better than us. You know, like we're, we're good. We're as good. Like, yes, the Brewers probably have better pitching, but we have better hitting. The Reds may have better young hitting maybe, but they have some problems in the bullpen and the, in the rotation. And so like, you know, if you look at the landscape, you say, yeah, we could maybe even win the division. We'll, we'll, we'll make decisions based on winning the wild card, but we can maybe win the division. This is a division that could put two teams in the postseason, which I think that two was, months ago would, would have been laughable. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, think yeah. about how the depth in this division with the Reds, the team they became by calling up a bunch of players earlier in the season, the Cubs, the form they have taken on. I mean, the second half for the Cubs has been fantastic. It's, it's not just this last couple of weeks. It's a 29-15 and 15 stretch in the second half. So 14 over 500. They had a really rough patch in May. They went 10-18 that month, but they've been 500 or better every other month so far this season this is just a classic you know which flaws would you rather have would you rather have (laughs) problems in the back of your rotation like the cubs or would you rather have major problems putting runs on the board consistently if you're the brewers the brewers ended the series red hot too so to really stop them in their tracks and win the two games in the pitching matchups they did that was a huge momentum shift in this battle there's a couple questions kind of folded in here which team do you think wins the division? And do you think they both get to the playoffs regardless of who wins it? Ooh. Because mm. a lot of this hinges on how you feel about the Giants and the Diamondbacks in particular. It kind of seems like the Phillies are, are safely tracking towards being in. But it's those two West teams that you're thinking a lot about as far as who's truly battling with the non-winner of the NL Central. I don't know, though, here. You're saying it's just those guys? I mean, if you look at it, Cincinnati's still in the mix. Yeah, they're still there. 14.9% chance of making the playoffs. They're sliding down toward long shot status. But they're still they're still alive. Miami sliding too. And the Padres are dead, right? We're calling time of death on the Padres. I guess so, yeah. Kind of have to. That waiver claim deadline is uh, upon us as we record. So we'll see what AJ <laughs> Preller really thinks. If he does nothing, I think that would be your, your final. Uh, if he claims Lucas Giolito, I'm going to laugh. Um, yeah. I mean, if they were even close yesterday... Uh, one of the guys on the Rays, I was in Miami, which we'll get to later, but he was like, you know, if San Diego was even 500, they would have claimed all those guys. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but ten, right? 10 games under, it's pretty rough. Uh, it's hard to sell. They're a team that gambled and pushed their chips in. They didn't really have another op, really a good option, right? Otherwise, I mean, and have just tanked. I think the Phillies are a better team than uh, the rest of the wildcard contenders. So I'm going to put the Phillies in. So then you're talking about two spots and Cubs, Reds, Giants, D-backs, basically, for those two spots. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to give the Cubs one of those spots. Yeah. Or the Brewers. I think the Cubs right. could still I mean, win yeah, the division. Yeah, Cubs or Brewers. Like, I, I'll give the, the loser, the second place NL Central team, I'll give them the other spot. And then so I think it's really D-backs, Giants, Reds for one spot. I mean, I know it's there's only two games separating those guys from the Cubs, but just in terms of like teams and flaws and stuff, like you know, Marcus Stroman is throwing again. I don't know if he'll throw he'll, he'll pitch this season, but he's throwing again. Um, they've managed to yeah. scrape together. The Cubs have managed to scrape together a good enough rotation to win. Uh, they have good uh, offense. They their defense isn't a big flaw. The Reds have the second or worst, the second or very worst defense in baseball. Uh, depending on where you look. The Brewers have the best defense in baseball or the second best, depending on where you look. So the Brewers are like, hey, we've got the best defense in baseball. We've got one of the best pitching staffs in baseball. And we're just trying to scrape together enough offense. The Reds are like, we've got all the offense. We just lost Nick Lodolo and we have zero defense. I think that's more flawed. Uh, And the Giants and D-backs are just like, 
we just we're piecing together teams here. I bet you if the D-backs get Ronaldo Lopez, I think that could actually be uh, like push them into favorite status for that last uh, that last thing because the D-backs bullpen is one of the it's like the Reds defense. It's like one of the worst flaws in this group of teams. Yeah, you just look at what just happened to the Diamondbacks too. The Dodgers had a three game oh series with God. them this week. That was a, <sighs> a absolute slaughter fest at 23 to 5 they were outscored dodgers have done this to a bunch of teams dodgers are playing really really well right now insanely well any thoughts like, that they weren't the dodgers anymore oops that was on me uh they um oops. they have erased those over the last couple of months they they just look as nasty as they always are and uh one thing we're going to talk about on the friday show with keith law is ryan pepio emerging to maybe be a key arm for them with some improved control but the diamondbacks definitely need some help from this group at the at the waiver deadline i i I think both the nl central teams make it the cubs actually have the easiest remaining schedule in the nl by that fangraphs winning percentage calculation the rest of the way uh they do see each other the cubs and brewers play the final series of the season in milwaukee division that's gonna be a big one yeah and it, it could yeah it really could come down to the very last day for that division title versus uh, you know, being the the lower seed in the postseason, but I'm on the side that thinks both of these teams get in. Um, I think I still have enough questions about the Cubs' depth that in the rotation, where I think that's going to be a problem for them, easier schedule or not. That's the part of their roster that I think is going to be exposed over the final month of the season. So I think the Cubs are the wild card, and the Brewers by a whisker hang on to get the division. There's this idea that Carlos Carrasco uh, uh, of the waiver claims. So I think the waiver claims are going to be mostly eaten up by the Giants, D-backs, Reds, and Twins. Yep. Those are the... The fringy, the fringy teams they get first for dips, the postseason. Right? They get first yes. dibs. Yeah. So, Which isn't fair, by the way. Kevin Cash went off about this yesterday, and it's true. Are they going to change this? Because it behooves you to be bad or fringy a playoff team in August. I don't know. That's and only if this becomes a trend and there's a ton of players. I mean, there's most of the time that's you're not you're not like super excited about the waiver deadline, you know, the waiver situation in in August 31st, you know. Yeah. I do think maybe they change the rules where if you acquire a guy at a deadline, at the trade deadline, you have to keep him. You can't wave him for the rest of the year. Yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, idea. you can't wave him a month later. Mm-hmm. You can wave guys who've been on your team all year or prior to the deadline. I mean, there could be something. I mean, I don't think it's that unfair. I mean, it's that's just the waiver process. It's been that's been a, a thing that's been for, around forever. You know, the the worst teams. Yeah, get. but there's never been this many guys on it. Or like you could have you could have really affect playoff races. That's true. That's true. I I wonder if there'll be a real change. But I any in any case, I think the Giants, D-backs, and, and Twins and Reds will get you know Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, mm-hmm. uh, what w- w- Matt Moore. Uh, these are like the Clevenger. I don't know if someone but pays that salary though. Clevenger, yeah. There's some question of like who has two, who has two, four, six, eight million dollars left to 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 pay these guys. Uh, but I think most of the teams will those those teams will each make like two claims, the two best players, and they'll mostly pick them up. But there's been this idea that maybe Renfro and Carlos Carrasco will make it all the way through and be league minimum guys that are available. Do you think that the Cubs who sit behind this group? might actually just say, hey, let's just pay Carrasco's uh, salary the rest of the way. It doesn't seem like a great deal. He's not a great pitcher, but we don't have a great starting rotation. Wouldn't Carlos Carrasco be better than our fifth best starting pitcher right now? That's a great idea. That really depends on the health of Marcus Stroman, because if Stroman comes back soon, Steele, Stroman, Hendricks, Tyon's good first four. Javier Assad's been really good, too, in doing it similar ways to Justin Steele, where you you look at the outside and you're like, wait, these results with that arsenal? How is that happening? So arguably, for me, it just comes down to whether or not Stroman's healthy, because Jordan Wicks is the guy that's filling in right now, like Wicks versus Carlos Carrasco. That's a coin flip at this stage of Carrasco's career. So I can oh, see that maybe being a fit. rough, dude. Carrasco just looks so cooked, unfortunately. But sometimes if you go to a new organization, they see something, it could change the way. He might even throw a little harder. It's the end of the, it's a winning team. Could you know? rejuvenate you. Stroman got hurt on rehab assignment. So I don't know if you can, even if you feel good about where he's at, I think you still make the claim because... You know, I honestly, maybe this happens. And, you know, maybe by the time this records, I look like an idiot. I'd be surprised if he made it through Carrasco just because so many teams could just use, use an another, extra starter. Arm, yeah. Like, yeah, they, it'd be great to pay him minimum instead of what he's owed. But like the Orioles, like, could use an, like, Giolito ain't getting to the Orioles, right? So, 
Yeah, I bet you. Rays. I bet you the I only people who make it through out of this group are Renfro, maybe, and um, Jose Cisnero is just like a, a reliever for the Tigers. I think you know he might make it through, but even then, yeah, could you use an extra bullpen arm? Yeah, so I, <laughs> I think it might be sad, but Renfro might be the only one who makes it through. So who do you think ends up being the most impactful waiver addition of all the players that are available? That includes Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, Randall Gritchick, Hunter Renfro, Matt Moore, Harrison Bader, Josh Donaldson, Britt mentioned Clevenger, uh, Carlos Carrasco, Cisnero. Bader. Bader? You think Bader is the guy? No, I just think he, really? I think he's more interesting than people are saying. I, I didn't know if you said him, so I just I was just thinking about him. I just sort of said his name out loud. Oh. I don't know if I would. <laughs> I think Gilito is probably the answer. Although, I, you know, I think Gilito. Bader and Ronaldo Lopez are role players that may have an outsized uh, contribution because Bader is the best defensive, uh, maybe the best defensive center fielder in baseball or second or third. And, uh, you know, uh, there are teams that could use that. The Giants defensively are not great. Um, in center, the Reds, I just said, are one of the worst defensive uh, teams in baseball. So, you know, that. And then Ronaldo Lopez, I think, is a closer level arm. Um, so to be able to add someone that can pitch your eighth inning uh, in waivers, I think it's pretty good. I think Giolito is the easy answer, but those two guys deserve mention. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it playing out that way for sure. I mean, Giolito, something's just a little off. It didn't work for him at all in Anaheim. It's been kind of a down year overall for him, but. You never know. Get him into a third organization this year. Maybe we can have a, a nice September from him to close things out. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew neck t-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Uh, let's shift the focus over to the Tampa Bay Rays. Britt, you mentioned you're on the you're on the road. You got home just recently. You were on hand for the Rays uh, two game series with the Marlins, and you reported on the Athletic on Wednesday. Wander Franco now facing a second formal complaint in the Dominican Republic about an alleged inappropriate relationship with a minor. Three underage girls have now accused Franco of misconduct. So. The worst story in baseball keeps getting worse. Pushing that aside, which is terrible, this team is playing well at a really odd time. And there was a point prior to the story even breaking where they didn't look like the team they were in the first half, but they started putting it back together. And they're 11-4 and four in their last 15 entering Thursday, which is just improbable given the form that that lineup had taken over the previous two months. Yeah, and if you look at it, at least as of yesterday, Wander Franco was still the, the guy with the highest war on that team. So and it's not he's not the only guy that they're missing, right? We know that like most of their rotation has been hurt. Shane McClanahan is done for the year. So it's really incredible, guys. But when you're around them and you're in the clubhouse and you're talking to guys, they're like, Yeah, you know, we miss Wander. We miss his production. Yeah, we miss McClanahan, but like, yeah, we just keep going. And I think what's so interesting about the Rays is they very quietly had a pretty terrible July 
which allowed the Orioles to get back into it. But if you look at it, every other month, they've had at least 18 wins. They've played at a ridiculous clip. And look at Randy Rosarino's July versus what he did in August. Look at Yandy Diaz's July versus what he did in August. Like These are guys that I think really, um, as the Rays go, they go kind of guys. Um, so when you look at the lineup and what it's been able to do without Wander Franco, it's, it's a surprise, at least to me. But then you look at what the Rays have done over the years, and as somebody pointed out, the Rays' worst player, their 26th guy on the 26-man roster, is another is you know another player is another team's you know 20th, right? They're just so much deeper than every other team. And guys talk about that. They talk about the fact that yeah, someone else just comes up, and you know we're good here. Like they have such a chill, relaxed clubhouse. They didn't even have a team meeting after after everything happened with Wander. They didn't even have like a, let's talk about this crazy catastrophic event that just happened to us. And we all just got on a plane and flew to San Francisco. No, Kevin Cash didn't have a speech. None of it. They just went out and played and they won. And it is just really tough. And people have been trying for years to put their finger on the intangible, like what makes the Rays great. Right. And I think it's a lot of things, but I also think we don't give Kevin Cash enough credit for what he does. Like we had this conversation just yesterday. Brandon Hyde probably wins manager of the year, right? Because the Orioles are good and nobody thought they're going to be good but the orioles have had almost no major injuries they really haven't yeah they've been pretty healthy the rays look at what the rays have lost and look at what they've been able to do how does kevin cash if we're measuring manager of the year how does kevin cash not get serious consideration considering the fact that they lost their best player in wander franco who is not coming back this season and that's not an admission of guilt they're still investigating but He's being investigated in the Dominican Republic. MLB is going to wait on their investigation until that wraps. So you're not going to see him this season. So they are playing without their best player. They're playing without their best starting pitcher. They didn't get a full season from Tyler Glass now. Like the list goes on and on and on injury-wise, and they keep winning. And I don't think anybody talks about the job that Kevin Cash is doing. They have used um, 37 pitchers already this year, 37 different pitchers already, and we are not into September. It's remarkable. They used 38 all of last year. They're going to blow by that number. They just keep getting it done. And again, it kind of goes under the radar because they're in a small market. Something we've talked about for a long time, you know, is that they, in Tampa Bay, they do a better job stretching the roster than pretty much any organization in baseball. There's a handful of teams that do it on that level. I think the Giants, another example of it, where that next player up is usually better than most other teams guy that has to fill in in the event of any particular player's absence. That's part of how the Rays have had so much success throughout the last decade plus. Yeah, and you know, uh we've got this this thing open on Fangrass, the roster resource 26 man roster breakdown and you can do a rank homegrown so you can see like how many of the players uh, on on a roster are from their own organization and we have this idea of Tampa Bay as a sort of player development powerhouse, except they rank 25th. And in fact, because it's the tie for 25th, they're the third worst organization for in terms of how many players are on their team are from homegrown. And by this definition, uh, it's their number one in players acquired in trade. And, you know, if you look at the roster, you kind of get it because you're like, you know, you wonder what the definition is a little bit. But, you know, Yandy Diaz uh, it came in a trade. Randy Rosarena came in a trade. Isak Paredes came in a trade. Hale Ramirez was a, a waiver wire pickup. Um, you know, so Jose Siri came in a trade. These are a lot of players that have come in trades. Um, and there's a lot of coming and going. Uh, there's a lot of like, managing 26 through 40 on the roster they're really good at having a 40-man roster knowing what that is having a ton of people in the il and moving people around um and so what kevin cash does that i think is so brilliant is you get a little bit of that bruce bochi keep calm and carry on vibe from him where you know it would have been it wouldn't have been very kevin cash like to get out there and have like a panic team meeting and be like what are we going to do about wanda franco no you, you, what's way more Kevin Cash is, you know, what are you going to do about Wanda Franco? I don't know. We'll find somebody to put in the lineup tonight. You know, we called up Basabe. You know, we're going to, that's, that's a Kevin Cash answer. <laughs> you know, like we called up Basabe. We'll figure it out. You know, and so you get this, like, yeah, I think it's a really calming influence for a lot of players that have come from different places. You know, 
uh, and, and we're come from different organizations, it might be great to have this sort of calming. Yes, he's very stat, you know, influence and he works with the front office and all this. But I think a lot of it is just he's a calming influence for people that have come from different situations. And everybody wants to play every day. And he's like, hey, we're, we're all trying to win. We're, you know, come together. We'll figure this out. So I, I think it's some of his is his demeanor, actually, uh, that kind of the kind of is the glue for all this. Yeah, I do think, you know, Kevin Cash for me is is similar to what Craig Council does in Milwaukee, the newer, the younger generation of managers that played more recently that have kind of the the analytics and old school kind of approach blended together. I think those are sort of the the optimal managers that organizations want to have now. Like you think about the Guardians, Terry Francona, maybe retiring at the end of the season. They need a manager like that, right? Every team looking for a new manager is probably looking for someone like a Kevin Cash because that's what the game has become. And managing people is always a huge part of the job. We talk about that all the time. Dealing with anything that a 162-game season can throw at you, it's really important, right? Crisis management. How do you, how do you deal with the problems that are going to come up inevitably with your roster? So I think that's something they've done really, really well. And they have guys that don't play on this team that would get a lot of playing time elsewhere. I look at Jonathan Aranda, has nothing left to prove at AAA, can barely crack the lineup for the Rays. It blows my mind. And they do it with platoons. Curtis they do Mead it with, is like a top 10 prospect on some sides. Yeah, you know? Curtis Mead would have been an everyday guy much earlier in the season for most teams around the league. He's just trying to stick on the roster right now. And it's, it's this way a lot for the Rays. Yeah. The trades is so interesting, though, you know, because you're right. You have in your mind that they're homegrown, but they get these guys early. Isak Paredes is 24 years old. Mm-hmm. He's having a terrific season. He said yesterday he's trying to get to 100 RBIs, 30 home runs. I mean, they, they just find these guys. And not even just the young guys, though. Look at Jake Diekman, who was a waiver claim. Mm-hmm. Look at his ERA in Chicago. Jason Adams. And then you know, he's been lights, like, you know, these are guys they pick out. up. Yeah. You know? Off the literal scrap heap. Yeah, they, they do as, as well as any organization at identifying talent in other organizations that has not reached its potential. I think Paredes is a great example of that because I thought the Tigers had plenty of opportunity for him in Detroit. I thought he'd be a regular for them for the next few years going through their rebuild. He ends up getting traded to Tampa Bay last year, unlocks this extra level of power. We saw some flaws in that approach last season. Thought, okay, maybe this is what Paredes is, even still a good part-time player. Nope, he's one notch better than that. Um, It's really interesting too, because when you look at Paredes in particular, everything that he does damage on is pulled. Right, it's a super pull happy approach. You look at the spray chart, the home runs—they're all clustered together on the left side of the chart. It's remarkable. I don't know how long an approach like that works, but it doesn't matter because once there are signs that it's not going to work anymore, they'll find the next guy. That's just the way this organization works. The bigger question, I think, with the Rays, thinking about the absence of McClanahan, how important he was to that rotation. Tyler Glasnow, there's more, I think, more pressure on keeping Tyler Glasnow healthy because he's just a notch above Eflin and Savali. He's that guy, but they've been able to get so much out of Eflin this year that Eflin looks more like a true number two than he ever has at any point during his career, at least. You can start to see it. And, And the bullpen, I think early in the year, we were a little more critical of this bullpen, maybe not having the same the same firepower that it had in in recent seasons. It started to take shape again. They got Andrew Kittredge back. That's kind of huge. A guy that got hurt. I think he had Tommy John last year. Just got back recently. Fairbanks is healthy right now. Jason Adam, you mentioned before. Robert Stevenson was a, a small trade they made with the Pirates. Jake Diekman, funk from the left side. Like it, It's all the ingredients, again, coming back together in that facet of the game. So in the instances where the rotation, especially in the back end, maybe it only gives them four or five innings, they've got plenty of guys to bring into the game that are going to give you some problems from a matchup perspective. I think that one of the things that's really important about uh, running a good organization is knowing what you can do uh, internally, like what your coaches are capable of coaching up and then applying that to your player acquisition strategy. So, um, you know, that's, I think that they look at things and they say, okay, we're actually pretty good at breaking balls. We've, we've had a lot of success coaching breaking balls. 
So let's get players that are pretty good in all sorts of ways. Maybe they can spin it, but they don't. They have something non-optimal about their breaking ball. So Savali comes over, throws more sliders. Uh, uh, Eflin comes over, they improve his curveball. They have him throw the curveball more. You know, they obviously have had a lot of guys who had a lot of success with breaking balls. Drew Rasmussen before he went down was throwing three breaking balls. You know, so they they have this ability to sort of coach up breaking balls. So they look for guys that have a good breaking ball, but could they have a second breaking ball or third? Could they, you know, do this? And they've had a lot of success with, with doing that. Even Diekman's breaking ball has changed. Like it's, it's definitely something about uh, what they, their institutional knowledge about how to coach breaking, breaking balls and applying that to how they get players. You look back at this team, the 22 and six start in April had everybody excited about this being a, a version of the Rays we'd never seen before. They've only had one month with a losing record and it was a brutal month. They were 8-16 and 16 in July, but they have pretty much recovered from that completely with a stretch of 17-8 and eight now over their last 25 games here in August. So, uh, okay, so we did the same thing in the NL Central. Both the Rays and the Orioles are going to the playoffs. That's even clearer, of course, than the NL Central teams we just talked about. Who wins the division? Who are you taking right now? It's all going to come down to, so they come to Baltimore uh, in two weeks for a four-game series. That's going to be to huge. Me, yeah, that's going to be it. And they're already talking about it, too, or Tampa is at least. Like, that is the series that's probably going to make or break and decide who wins the AL East. I mean, it may obviously come down to later in September, but I think that's really going to show you, like, how these two teams stack up. Because for me right now, it's a little bit of a coin flip. Um, you know, Tampa is playing, like, out of their mind, and Baltimore just hasn't slowed down either. I mean, for a while, we're like, nobody's ever going to take down Tampa on the AL East. and. Here comes Baltimore, like quietly putting together just like month after month of excellence. And I think the starting pitching for both of those teams is a little bit of a concern. We mentioned with the Rays, with all their injuries, like last now, he, he has to stay healthy and he has to be an ace, right? The Orioles don't really have an ace. And I don't think, you know, they're so late in the waiver claim that order that they're, they're not, not going to be able anybody, to pick yeah. up anybody. Yeah, so they're kind of stuck as is. And Jack Flaherty's been like, what you kind of would expect. He's had some fine starts and some bad starts. Um, so to me, it's going to come down to the rotation because we know the Orioles can hit like up and down. Their lineup is just really, really good. Uh, but I don't know if I can pick a clear winner right now. I don't not to, not to be all, wa- you know, waffly on you, oh, but I just, Oh, 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 I, I get the chance to not waffle. Yay. Yes. I'm all right, the race. So I need a very clear and firm prediction from Rays. Eno because Brit is very wait. undecided. Wow. The race. It's the, it's, the it's the Rays. Why? Why do you think it's the Rays? Uh, Glasnow is an ace. Eflin is a number two. Uh, I think Latell is a fine four five. Savali is a, is a three. I think the only X factor on the pitching side for them right now they got Fairbanks going, Stevenson going, Adam. They've got their A bullpen going. The only X factor for me is Taj Bradley if he's going to be you know a swing man, a part of the bullpen, or a, a rotation piece. But I think they'll get him right. So I clearly favor the staff of the Rays to the staff of the Orioles. I do think on the batting side, I probably take the Orioles, but I think it's a little bit underrated, uh, you know, offensively for Tampa. For the year, uh, they have a better WRC plus uh, than the than the Orioles, and for the and for the last thirty days, they have a better WRC plus than the Orioles. So. In terms of uh, of how they hit, it's a, this is a good, really good hitting team, Tampa. So if I'm going to take the lineup and I'm going to take the staff, I don't think defense is enough to separate them. And I wouldn't say that Tampa has a terrible defense. So uh, even if I no, take... No, they made some really, really good plays in the Miami series. Yeah, if I take... Maybe I take Baltimore's defense, but that's not enough for me to be like, okay, Baltimore is going to win this division based on its defense. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, you're selling me because the Bautista injury in the bullpen for Baltimore definitely. That hurt. was sad. That's yeah, yeah that losing your good. best reliever and then just being one thinner in the A bullpen overall is is a tough blow to uh, to deal with. And I I think Grayson Rodriguez since he coming back be has ace. been a lot better. Right, we, yeah. we know he's got yeah. ace potential. Sub three ERA over his last eight starts. Kyle Bradish, I would say, is maybe the the AL equivalent of Justin Steele in some ways, where. If you're not an Orioles fan or if you are not a fantasy player, you might not be aware of just how well Kyle Bradish has pitched this year. Stuff Plus loves him. (laughs) Stuff Plus loves him. So if you look at the model, you are fully aware 
But Bradish, I mean, Bradish, I think, I think Grayson could be an ace, whereas Glasnow is an ace. Bradish, I think, is a good number two. So that's that's a good spot. But then after that, I clearly uh, prefer most of the yeah. Rays pitchers. Right. That's where it tapers off a bit. I just with Jack Flaherty, we just never know what we're going to get as far as the, the velo no. and good Jack Flaherty is still very good. But it's like a 50 50 coin flip on any given start that he's going to have that velo and be that guy. And it's so frustrating. Yeah, Eno was pretty good at like right away. Like th- I feel like this podcast, while many others were like, "Oh, golf clap for the Orioles," we were like, ah, eh. eh. didn't really like the move." <laughs> and like, it's not like they're one of those teams that has the, uh, you know, if it was a hitter, maybe because they've done such a great job of of you know hitters improving at the big league level, but they haven't done that pitching wise. So it didn't lend a whole lot of like they're going to uncover a secret with Jack Flaherty. He's going to be like Jack Flaherty of five years ago. Like we just you just didn't see that, right? He's a fastball slider guy. What do you got on cover? He's he's good when he throws ninety four plus, and he's bad when he throws yeah. ninety three minus. And yeah. he gets really mad when you ask him about his velocity. Yeah, don't ask uh, him about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. But what's crazy, you know, is that like you are the Rays don't have Shane McClanahan and Wander Franco, two who I would call their stars. That maybe people who aren't Rays fans have still heard of these guys, oh, right? That man. don't play fantasy baseball, and they still. I mean, it is it is so it is unbelievable. Kind of crazy. Yeah, it is so unbelievable, especially when you see like. Aaron Judge and the Yankees and how bad they struggled without him. They're obviously an organization with a, a ton of flaws and, and issues. And they spend a lot on player development. They care a yeah. lot about player development. They have a they have an ethos in the minor leagues. They they have plans. They create guys who hit the ball hard and don't chase. That sounds great. Except they miss the ball all the time. And like you know, like they I mean, haven't created are cool, a but yeah. When's the last time they created a, a young player like Wander Franco? Their guy, Anthony Volpe, is exciting. He misses the ball all the time. So, yeah. you know, it's like there's something about their approach that's not quite right. Otherwise, they have the resources to be able to turn out players like the Rays, and they just they haven't been able to do that. Yeah. I think Volpe is going to be better. With time, I think he's going to make more contact over but time. He'll never make as much contact as Wander did. <laughs> no, but okay. Think about the universe of prospects and the time that all of us have covered baseball. There's a very short list of players who were as supposed to Wander Franco, yeah. to be on that level, right? So, mm-hmm. like, throw that away. Like, that's that's not a fair, not fair starting point anyway. Volpe is a 22 year old rookie playing in the pressure cooker spot. In Major League Baseball, you're the shortstop for the third. Yankees. He's batting. Is it tonight or last yeah. night with Judge out? He batted third. Yeah, and it's it's like being the quarterback of the Cowboys, right? You're just gonna yeah. you're gonna get extra scrutiny in that spot. And I know it's a little below average in terms of the overall value. It's a 92 WRC plus. That's not failure for a 22 year old rookie to right. be just a tick below league average. That's actually a successful rookie season. There's power. There's speed. He's a good defender. Anthony Volpe is going to be fine. Your broader point, though, is something that I think is, is really yeah. interesting. How many quality big league position players have the Yankees developed over the last 10 years? I know they, they do make some trades and uh, maybe the organizational philosophy is let's try and get guys up to double A and flip them. And some of the key players in that lineup are guys they traded for. Aaron Judge, obviously a big hit. He was a first round pick. We talked about this with, with player development a while back. How do you grade turning a first rounder into a star. It's a little different than taking a fourth rounder or a fifth rounder and turning that player into a star. You still get credit. You still did some things right. Right. You, you, you were didn't involved. Mess him you up. found the player. You didn't <laughs> mess him up. You found the player. People had a lot of concerns about Judge when he came up saying he's, he's so big. He's got a huge strike zone. He's going to strike out forever. Wrong. <laughs> it just it didn't work out that way. The he's, Cole he's signing looks that. like it's going to be like the Max Scherzer yeah. signing, which is, you know, by the Nationals going to be one of the best uh, starting pitcher signings mm-hmm. of all time. So they do some things good, and then on player development, they do some things good. But like, yeah, to some extent, some of the chatter in the industry is that they haven't, they just don't give those guys enough chance. That mm. uh, that Oswaldo Peraza, if they Oswaldo Peraza should have been playing third base since like June. Yeah, you know, yeah. full time for them, or, or you know, uh, that Pereira and Jason Dominguez should have been up earlier. You know that they and they should. They should get a full ride. So, hey, this interesting that in New York, Everson Pereira and Jason Dominguez are going to play in the outfield every day for the final month. And, and Anthony Volpe and Oswald Peraza are going to share the infield for the final month. 
So this is going to be, and they even uh, brought up their their catcher prospect, uh, Austin Wells. So they're going to take five super young guys and just put them out there for a whole month and just say, you know, convince us that you're the starter next year. And that's a little bit different than they've had uh, in in New York. And I wonder if there's, you know, there's this pressure on in New York to get to the playoffs every year. So how much, if, if we're in this crucible that we have to make the playoffs every year, how many times can I just be like, Jason Dominguez is our, you know, starting outfielder for the next month? You don't get that chance. So this year, maybe they make the most out of this. We're not making the playoffs. We're going to have a whole month to Jason Dominguez to, you know, just settle in. And then maybe next year, he's the starting center fielder from the beginning of the year. And he's going to have a great year. And everybody's going to be like, wait, the Yankees are good at player development. <laughs> it really will hinge on, on this group and the success this group has over time. I think they'll be judged faster than they should be because it's yeah. the Yankees. But like I just did the with baby Volpe. bombers were a massive, <laughs> massive disappointment. And so people are like, well, we've seen this shtick before. Right. <laughs> Look, prospects. <laughs> I think as long as they're not... As long as from the organization, they're not That's packaging bad. their group of prospects that way again, and I don't, there's no indication that they are, then uh, the people Martian? can be a little more reasonable. Okay, that's a little Martian, bit more specific. Did the to Yankees do that, or no, did, did, he did we, it. the media, do that? Yeah, Actually, exactly. he did it. I think he. There's a clip of somebody saying he met him on the on the subway, and he had his glove, and they said, "Oh, did you catch a foul ball?" And he said, "I play," and then he said, "Oh, are you any good?" And he said, "I'm the Martian." Yeah, he's just embraced it. I don't think he, I don't think <laughs> yeah, he started the media. If he started calling himself <laughs> the Martian at 16 years old, then that's confidence <laughs> off the charts. Like confidence to the point of maybe, maybe being a little concerning. Yeah. Maybe a little too much, but playing really well in the second half of the season. And, you know, nice to see him getting a look here at the end of the year. Not the year the Yankees fans wanted to see, but at least your team is doing what I would say is the right thing, doing something they haven't necessarily always done in the past, being willing to give that young talent an opportunity here late in the season. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. And that leads us to our next topic, which may be more of a flyby because we've already assessed how we feel about the White Sox going internal to fill their GM vacancy. It is Chris Getz. Chris Getz seems to be pretty well liked in circles from the public reaction I've seen. It's more of the the the, the contingent of, of people who cover the White Sox and White Sox fans saying, OK, but how are things going to be different? You worked in the previous regime? It's a completely fair question. But the question I want to ask each of you is when you think about a major league organization or even any organization, and there's a chain of command where there are people in charge, how often do people within the organization who are not at the top have ideas of their own? How often do they have a plan that they are not allowed to execute because they're not at the level of putting everything in place, right? So you can grade Chris gets within the job that he previously had, you have to give him an incomplete out of the box for what he's going to do as a GM, even though I think we would all make the assumption or the hypothesis that more of the same is the most likely thing he will do until proven otherwise. But I think as frustrating as this would be for White Sox fans, if you wanted James Click to be the new GM, 
I understand why, because he came from the Rays, spent time in Houston. It would have been a fresh philosophy heading up baseball operations. That, to me, seemed like a better outcome, you know, not knowing exactly what Getz is going to do. Is it fair to at least give Chris Getz a chance to see how he changes things in this organization, even though he's been there through the recent dysfunction? No, I don't like this move at all. <laughs> Listen, I got a bunch of text messages about this in the coming days. Some of them I can't read on air, but some yeah. of them I can. And they were like, what has this guy done but run a shitty farm system? Yep. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> this guy is what? Not even 40 years old. And he's been in an antiquated organization behind in every facet. And what does he-, he get? Promoted. Like, like that's what this sport needs. Another mediocre white dude getting a job that really doesn't have the resume for. Without like, an open process. You know, like, I thought we had, thing. we were supposed to have an yeah. open process where you that's interview people and give people a chance people. to talk. Yeah, like, but if they did that, it would have been a sham, right? They would have called in a few diversity candidates, had an interview and said, we pick Chris Getz, he's the best guy for the job. And people yeah. would have been mad about that too. But yeah, like, right. I did have that conversation with the scout and he's like, how can MLB let this happen? This is what the Rockies did too. So how can Dick Montfort and Jerry Reinsdorf, who are two of like the most, I think, longer tenured owners in the game, two of the guys who have more of the There's power. There's your answer. There's yeah. your answer. <laughs> uh-huh. So MLB creates all these nice diversity committees, and then there's, these teams are just internal no hiring? Yeah, they have no teeth. The process now, this is nothing against no Chris Getz, who I have heard is a very nice guy. This is nothing against Chris Getz. He must be. But this organization requires innovation. It requires outside thinking. And as different as Chris Getz may be in you know the way he does things or the way he wants to lead, here's the other thing. Is he going to be able to lead an entire organization? That the, as as much as we may think he you know he thinks different than Kenny and Rick Hahn, how different can you be when you've been in that organization and they've done things this one way? It's not like he was in five or yeah. six different organizations before he came to the White Sox, right? But this all circles back to what we keep hearing, which is there's the White Sox way, and then that's it. That in Jerry Reinsdorf's mind, loyalty is also like let's keep my people, let's keep the people in the White Sox organization in the White Sox organization, right? So they were never going to. Yeah do anything to rock the boat who in my mind now wants this president job i mean it is a good job on paper but like i don't think we give jerry reinsdorf enough credit for being as meddlesome of an owner from what i've heard so if they're really not going to change anything philosophically that's one of the texts i got nothing's going to change unless you change the guy just signing the checks Uh, also true right and i i think that's a fair position to take also i just I'm trying to, you want I'm to, trying give to him think a chance? of any reason. <laughs> make him an AGM then. Like, make him an assistant GM. Why does he... He's also not even a GM. He's like VP of baseball operations. It's a hell of a promotion. Yeah, I don't even think they... Right. I don't think they signed a, a POBO. That would be a massive failure, don't you think? Yeah, Ina's like, I don't know. They're in bad trip. I mean, it just fits with... Okay. I mean, this, this yeah, already was. you're right. I think it already is. is. Um, <laughs> yeah, but like they haven't even started that interview process. So who even knows? So... I don't know. Uh, so, uh, you know, just just thinking about like Chris Getz's history, like, you know, yes, they are r- widely regarded as probably the worst player, to, one of the worst three, if not the worst uh, player development uh, situations in baseball. And we've been talking on this podcast today and often about how do you uh, judge one? And one thing that I came up with was I'm looking at rank uh, the, that rank homegrown that I talked about earlier with Tampa Bay. Um, and if you look at the top teams in terms of, uh, you know, homegrown teams cleveland colorado royals white Sox, houston that's a really interesting fivesome right and you can you tigers right behind it so there's six teams there that are the most homegrown teams in baseball they have the most homegrown players so i think it's actually fair then to port over to you know how is that team doing right now as a metric of their player development because that team is built from inside. And so when you look at the the very bottom of uh, how hitters are doing this year, uh, you know, how team hitters are doing this year, and you see Colorado last, Chicago White Sox 28th, Tigers 27th, Royals 26th, and oh, Houston 5th. 
I think that you can get like this is actually a proxy for how good your player development is because those are homegrown teams and one is fifth and one is 28th. <laughs> you know, like so those are the players you wanted, those are the players you developed, and that's what you're getting out of it. So uh, I do think that it's a little bit fair to say that, you know, hey, he was in charge of player development. They have a lot of homegrown t- uh, players on this team and they aren't good. So why are we promoting this guy? And then you know, then you have the internal sort of, um, you know, oh, they're, you know, I've heard that their players don't get scouting reports before games. Maybe that's changed. Maybe they've gotten they've gotten better at that. They've tried to hire certain, you know, I know they've had some high profile hirings, but the way they do it is they hired uh, somebody I widely respect. I, I respect a lot to to be like an analyst, like to, to help their analytics on their hitting side. And they gave him the title analytics coach which is just an awful title to give someone that's coming into an old player development organization. It's like, hey, we got the nerd coach over here. Anybody want to listen to the nerd coach? And all the other coaches are like, "Mm, we got an analytics coach over here, huh? What are you going to do, huh? You got some nerd numbers for our hitters? I'm going to read you guys a statement from Reisdorf about gets and try to not laugh while I make it through this. Chris has impressed me greatly over the past seven years. In our conversations this season, I've become energized by his vision approach and sense of what this organization needs to become competitive again. With his existing knowledge of the organization top to bottom, I believe his leadership will provide us with the quickest path forward to our goal. A consistently successful baseball team that competes and plays the game the right way. He will re-energize this organization. He's been there. Why was he not energizing the player development? Anybody? Someone? Why was he energizing? <laughs> yeah, he was in leadership. It's not it's, Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't I mean, like searching for executives. How much more is this? More right? leadership going to help so, him? Which is why he kept Kenny Williams and Rick on their spots forever. The easiest thing for him to do was promote somebody internally rather than do a real search. But they will still again just just keep spinning their wheels. And Tony Larusa is back now as an advisor, so he's probably the one whispering. Oh, that I thought was so, the funniest right. about it all. Like you can bring back Tony Larusa. Right. So <laughs> like, he's what? probably the one that Ryan Storff listens to the most. So really, who's running the Chicago White Sox? It's not Chris Getz. It's Tony Larusa and Jerry Ryan Storff. Does anyone feel better? I mean, it almost makes you miss Kenny Williams no. and Rick Hahn, To be frank, <laughs> <laughs> which franchise? wins a playoff game not even a whole series a game next the white Sox or the angels oof i knew you were going there I knew you were going there one a and one b you know what the white Sox? because the angels the angels just blasted themselves back a decade with their trade deadline no the 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 prospects they traded away probably aren't going to be that (laughs) good they but that's because their system is bad. Those were their number one and two. Right. So the- Who do you think are three and four? Better guys? There's no Mike Trout down there. It's not the deadline. It's the two decades of already owning the team, right? It's not true. It's yeah. not what just happened yes. a month ago. This isn't. I feel this like the Angels are closer to being sold. I might take the Angels fault. because they might also, be closer the to being sold. Also, the AL Central. It's <laughs> a great this way to a, think about the problem. It's taking a depressing turn. Uh, but Perry Maniason's probably going to be the one whose head has on the chopping block. Like his contract's up. Well, yeah, a lot of possible changes in that organization. Uh, we have just a couple minutes. I just wanted to throw this on the on the conversation for a moment. The Mariners are also playing really, really well. Now in kinder, more yeah. Let's let's get out of the bad place. <laughs> teams that are just are spinning in circles. Let's talk about the Mariners where. They have been on fire. I think one of the best teams in the second half. I saw second best record in August, which is uh, hard to believe that the team's actually played better than them. But what do you attribute this recent stretch to? I saw 11 Mariners hitters with a league average or better WRC plus since July 1st. Everybody's hitting. Julio Rodriguez has played like a future MVP during that stretch. JP Crawford's been rolling. They've got 24 home runs in the last two months from Cal Raleigh and Eugenio Suarez. So the secondary contributors are providing the thump that they're supposed to. Josh Rojas looks like a different player. They got him at the deadline as part of the Paul Seawald trade. And the starting pitching has been excellent. Almost entirely as a group, they don't walk guys. It's not just George Kirby. It's Gilbert. It's Luis Castillo. It's Bryce Miller. Four starters with a walk rate under two walks per nine 
since July 1st. Just seems like a team that's doing everything right and putting all the pieces together that, you know, Britt, you called it at the beginning of the season as a hot take. You, you'd like the Mariners to win the World Series. It seems more realistic now than it has at any point this season. Yeah, you know what? I did not see this coming, obviously. But they've. But what people don't realize, though, they've pitched all year. It was just like waiting for the offense to come alive, right? Julio had a really bad start to the season, um, and the offense in general hadn't gotten it done. And so I think once their offense got even to like even to like that league average or just slightly above spot, they were going to be a good team. The question was, could they make up ground? And that's why they needed this hot stretch to get back into things, or they were just going to end up being like a, a fringy team on the outside. But to me, the story here is the offense. The story is also that they traded their closer away and somehow are still good, which is a little baffling if you think about it. Uh, but the story to me is Julio and also the rest of that lineup finally doing what they were supposed to, because there were so many games and like road trips that were demoralizing for them early on when they were pitching well and they'd lose because they couldn't score any runs. And, you know, this young pitching has held up. And I think a lot of people were kind of wondering like, Hey, at the trade deadline, Hey, is Seattle going to, sh- you know, going to push their chips in and, and make these young starters available because that could have changed the scope of the trade deadline. And they didn't, which was confusing because people were like, well, does DePoto still think they're going to win even though they traded away their closer? You know, it was like this weird in between and now they're clearly all in and they're winning and they're dressing up in like run DMC outfits. Did you guys see this with bucket hats? And like, oh, it's on <laughs> Julio Rodriguez put it on his Instagram, the whole team. And I don't know why, but Scott Cervais, who's like, what, a 50-year-old man? Dressed like this was hysterical to me. The track pants, the bucket hat. And then Run DMC comes on on FaceTime and like pumps them all up before they get on the plane. It was amazing. So it's all going well in Seattle. And to me, it all, like can this last, all again rides on the offense, which we know teams go through hot and cold stretches. But if Julio Rodriguez is truly going to become the leader of this team, which he's still a little young for and kind of growing into that role, he has to continue playing at this like MVP caliber rate in my mind anyway, to really separate themselves because that AO West is nuts right now. Houston's always lurking. They were always lurking. The Rangers, who I thought was the best team, and who I still think is probably the best team on paper, have some problems as well. So it is probably the most interesting. Sorry, Derek. I know the NL Central is also close, but to me, it's probably the most interesting division race. This is a it's a three, three, team, yeah, three teams, and they're all legitimately good fun I think teams. All, like that's that's always more fun. They than might two. be all better yeah. than okay, good. the Brewers. <laughs> hey, hey, you don't have to like go out of your way to take the shot. <laughs> the Mariners' offense that. is actually very good, tied for fifth in the league with the Astros with a 109 WRC plus. The key key difference is that the Mariners strike out a lot. They are second league wide in team strikeout rate behind the Twins. So that's where I think that that feast or famine concern for the lineup can come from, right? They can hold their own against top level pitching. And they're capable of that when the K's are a problem. That's when things could cool off for them. The good news for the Mariners, that pitching's really solid, even without Robbie Ray. That's a really good rotation. They could afford to trade Seawald at the deadline. You got to give Jerry DePoto credit for being willing to trade a a good popular veteran reliever who was important in that bullpen, knowing that he could get something back that would help between Rojas and Canzone. And knowing that he had enough in that group to not lose anything in the late innings or not lose a lot in the late innings. He knew that he's always he's like me with my fantasy teams. I'm always trading pitching for hitting because, you know, hitting is really hard to put together, especially in, I think, in a, in a stadium like Seattle's. Um, and so he he knew that uh, losing some of the 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 outfielders that he's had and, and just generally needed more bats and. You know, you speak of their strikeout rate. Dominic Canzone, the guy, the kind of the primary guy that came back in that Paul Seawall trade, does not really strike out that much. So, um, I think that was part of what he's what he was trying to do is add somebody to the lineup that did have some pop, but also didn't strike out that much. Otherwise, they control the zone, um, and they're an exciting team. You know, uh, my my youngest uh, wanted he's he's uh, the troll of the family. <laughs> Um, and, uh, he wanted us to, to have a team that he decided that we would follow. And he chose, uh, the Mariners a month ago. Um, and he thinks that JP Crawford is one of the best players in the big leagues. Uh, I can't tell him no in the last month, JP Crawford has hit 280, 427, 469 with three homers, uh, 57% better than league average. Uh, JP Crawford's been great. And, um, so they, you know, they have a type where they acquire guys 
that don't strike out and don't necessarily hit the ball super hard. And like J.B. Crawford, J.B. Crawford went on a on a trip to driveline, did uh, weighted bats and tried to increase his power. I think they hope to get guys that control the zone, make good contact and coach up the power. I think that's part of what they hope with Canzone. Um, and then otherwise, so that's very Cleveland Guardians-esque. And on the pitching side, they're Cleveland Guardians as well. You're talking about how they don't walk anybody. They love command when they draft a starting pitcher and when they acquire a starting pitcher. Um, They love command because they think that they can coach up the stuff. They have an internal stuff plus, very much like mine, uh, that they use to help coach up Kirby and Gilbert and and, and Wu and, uh, uh, and all these guys that are coming up. So... In a sense, like the Mariners are a more successful uh, version of the Guardians with a lot of the same values. Um, I think they've also like supplemented uh, with guys who strike out a lot, who have a lot of power. That's something the Guardians haven't been willing to do. So a guy getting a guy like Suarez, Eugenio Suarez, that's not something I think that the Guardians would ever do. He strikes out too much. Well, guess what? When he's white hot and blistering hot, he can carry the lineup. You know, so having somebody, you know, having a lineup that's generally good, but then adding some strikeouts is not always bad. Variance is not always bad. Volatility is not always bad. Sometimes that means you're white hot at the right time. And that's sort of Seattle's doing right now. Yeah. One last thought here as we go running a little bit long, but the Mariners have now passed the twins for the best strikeout minus walk percentage league wide among the pitching staffs. 17.9%. 17.9%. Twins have been atop that list for most of this season. Twins are still at 178 They're second. But the teams that are on that leaderboard, the teams that pitch well, just by K minus BB percentage, almost across the board are They're going to be good. playoff teams. Mariners, Twins, Blue Jays, Rays, Marlins, probably a miss. Braves, Giants, Phillies, Orioles, Brewers, Astros. Yankees are 12th. Dodgers are 13th. Wow. That's why some teams make that shirt, control the zone. It's like a spring training shirt, you know, control the zone. Mm. Oh, perhaps uh, an indication of things to come. The Cubs 18th, a little bit lower than those other teams. <laughs> the, uh, when they hired Scott Harris uh, to, to run the Tigers, uh, they asked him, like, what's something you believe? And he said, you know, most of the, most of the game uh, is about controlling the zone. Most of the game happens right there. All right. Well, we're going to get some Control the Zone t-shirts made for this podcast yeah. uh, in the time that uh, I'm gone. Leg two of paternity leave starting up for me, so you will not be hearing me in September. I'll be back in October. So either good news if you like me or bad news that I'm coming back eventually if you don't. Sorry to break it to you. Uh, on Twitter or X, you can find Britt at Britt underscore Droli. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. we got a special going right now. Subscriptions to The Athletic are just a dollar a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show. That's going to do it for us. We're back with you on Friday. Always got the green light here. 